You're listening to The Ripple Affect with your hosts, Cheech and Nippy, a podcast that explores how individual change has the capacity to affect the whole. From neuroscience to donuts, we're two sisters with a deep curiosity for ancient wisdom and modern knowledge, and we're obsessed with learning alongside you because we don't know. (laughs) Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of the Ripple Effect podcast. I'm your host, Kiata Cheech, and today my sister and co-host Isa Nibby and I will be sharing a kitchen table talk with you. These are candid combos as a part of our series where my sis and I get to explore what's been going on with us and sharing our views, perspectives, and experiences on change. What you're about to hear is us conversing on a very important theme we want to continue to touch on in this project ancient wisdom, and how we have personally experienced and gained from these teachings. Enjoy. Yeah, we did it. We're back. And we got our fancy cups. (laughs) Issa got wine glasses for us to pour our spritzers into. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Happy Lunar New Year. Happy Lunar New Year. We are recording today from the, not from the kitchen table, we're fireside tonight. So you might hear a few of the little pops coming from the beautiful fire Issa made. Some snap crackle pops. <laughs> um, thank you for making a fire, by the way. You're welcome. It's a little chilly, which is a joke in Southern California. <laughs> Everyone else has like serious weather and I'm like it's cold yeah I saw Casey's she was in this huge jacket and like so bundled up I think it was 23 degrees in New York Ooh, New York I don't know how people I don't know how people live in that kind of weather man it doesn't seem in I mean I know that sounds like a dumb statement but it's like it doesn't seem inhabitable to me to like try like Canada or Norway. Same thing. I'm like, I don't think you're supposed to live there. <laughs> people have people lived there do. for a long time. Speaking just... of people living for a long time, that is something I wanted to fireside chat with you about tonight that we talked about is ancestors and that ancient knowledge part oh, yeah. that we've mentioned we want to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. Ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's. I think that that's a great topic for tonight. We've talked about this a few times. Most recently, we were watching a show about a cult. Mm. I think it was Twin Flame Cult. And both Kiata and I were like, how do people think that this guy is a real deal? Like how, how, like this, this doesn't seem authentic at all. And then we recognize, oh, well, if you've never been in the presence of somebody who truly is spiritually connected, you may not know what that feels like and you wouldn't know the difference between somebody who's authentically connected or not. Yeah. And and I want to preface that by saying I'm fascinated by cults and I educate myself on them because I seem to have the build and the framework to be sucked into them. I've said that to you. I really appreciate that most cult documentaries are talking about how like, oh no, you... It can happen to anyone because it's true. And I, I recognize that in myself of the deep want to, you know, I, I used to frame it in to improve myself, which was a very helpful framework to let go of. Because when, for me, when you're like looking to improve yourself, you, you there's like a certain type of desperation and a certain type of pointing at yourself, like something's wrong with me. 
need to improve this. And I, I don't think that now I realize that's not a very effective way, but it can be taken advantage of because it, it puts something outside of you of like, hey, do you have the answers to me? Do you have the answers to me? Do you have the answers to me? I know I need help, which is valid. But I, so in seeking that, I think I've, I'm susceptible, but I have, I was saying to you, I feel like I've successfully not gotten sucked into a cult because as a young person, I was exposed to native elders who really had their shit together, like really had ancient wisdom. And that was what you and I, one of the things that when we started this podcast, we're like, where do we feel like we have roots that can help ourselves? And it was intri- high interests of intrigue was ancient wisdom and modern knowledge. And we haven't really got to talk about the ancient wisdom part of us. And as always on this podcast, we're not experts by any means, but we're very curious learners. And I think we have, you know, because of our parents' choice to raise us in the Native American church, and that was the community we religiously were involved in. And do you call it a religion? I've never used that word when I think about Upbringing. No, no. I d- and I don't think of it that way. But the framework of church, that was our church. We would go to teepees and we would sit, sit up in meetings and they would, you know, it was, it's ritual. I think it's more of a ritual. Well, and the history of that's interesting, right? Because the reason it's called a church was to be able to save the the ceremonies, save the ways of these ancestral people and their healing ways in the modern framework of our constitution, it was a way we could, they could say we have rights to practice our religion. Literally saving them from the U.S. government. Yeah. They yeah. had to classify themselves as this thing called a church, which isn't in the framework of, let's say, comparing it to like a Christian church. It's not, it's not the same. And I think that that was something I always feel uneasy when I say I grew up in the Native American church. I don't go into it more, but I always have a funny like hesitation to say that word church because I guess it's a control thing. I I don't want people to think in their mind what they think of when they think church. Mm. And I, I do sometimes if I feel trusted or safe enough with someone, I'll explain. And usually the words I use is it's a prayer service, an all night prayer service inside of a teepee. And I had someone recently ask me questions about it and I was kind of going in and that's interesting. What did they ask you? They were like, well, is there um, structure to it? I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you go in after the sun goes down, which was another part of not always what those ceremonies look like, but became a part of trying to not be persecuted again by the U.S. government and before that, like settlers. So they would go in at night and go through all night and before the dawn or right at the dawn, wrap up the service so that it wouldn't be as obvious. It was like a way of protection. I didn't know that. Yeah. This was a long time ago, obviously, but it stays current now. At least that's my understanding. Could be wrong about that. But um, but yeah, so it being an all-night service in the teepee and they were asking like, well, is there music or is there, because that was like a that's a framework for churches. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, there's um, instruments that 
that do get passed around. Anyone in the circle can can utilize them. And so they ask like, oh, there are there songs? Yeah. Yeah. There's songs that are, you know, sang at different times for different things in the native tongue. And she, she, she was like, do you know them? And I was like, yeah, I know some songs. When you first start, you, in order to sing, you need four songs. <laughs> That's how it works. You have to have four every time. Um, four is a significant number because of the four directions. And then I, and at some point I realized, oh, like there's someone running the service. You know, there's a roadman and his four officers that conduct kind of that kind of guide the different parts of the service that have to go down a certain way. And it is its ceremony and its ritual. And then I explained that inside of it, there's a purpose to it. Usually someone will sponsor a meeting and they're called meetings. You set, set up a meeting time and everybody shows up to the meeting and that there's a sponsor. Someone usually puts it up like this is what I want to have a meeting for. Sometimes it's for a birthday or sometimes it's for um, going through a hard time or sometimes it's, I mean, any reason. Appreciation meetings. Yeah. Holiday meetings can be. And that Healing. Was mm-hmm. Doctoring meetings. Mm-hmm. Someone's not well. And I explained like that was what's cool too is that it was it wasn't necessarily a set time. It's not like every Sunday, although you could probably find a service, you know, happening almost all, all the time, depending on how connected you are. And that was another question she asked was like, well, how do you find them? Because I had explained that it's kind of secret, you know, it's not secret, but I'm- yeah, there's, there's an element of that that was um, because of the peyote. And technically, if you're not native, you're that is a schedule one drug still. And so classification of that did keep it under wraps as well because it's not fully legal, which is interesting because a lot of our childhood being raised in Hubble County, cannabis, so much secrecy in, in all of that, that it's kind of um, still feels a little bit uncomfortable for me. I don't know about you to talk about the Native American church oh, in a public forum or talk about, you know, what it was like growing up, not being able to talk about what your parents did. And, you know, knowing as a young child that there was a level of secrecy you were required and to uphold for the safety of the family. Absolutely. And our ways that definitely is, you know, it was an interesting way to grow up. <laughs> yeah. Like outlaw life. And then inside the most sacred part of supportive community and spirituality also having a level of yeah you don't just go out and talk about it um and I don't even know if that was ever that's kind of I don't remember anyone ever telling me don't talk about this but it was inherent and like it was sacred and it's you keep it to yourself and so when this person asked well how would I find one I was like I don't know (laughs) because inside of the community, you, we were a well-connected family, I guess, meaning like we always knew who to ask to find them. They were our community, our relatives, our whatever. And that way you, if you wanted to go to a meeting, you could find where one was. Yeah. And I, I think too, our father was very leaned on in that community and adopted strongly in that, in the Native American community. So he would be asked to come help in the service of a lot of meetings, which grew his connection in the Native American church exponentially because he would travel and go to services and, and offer his services as a, as a fireman. Mm -hmm. And so I think that definitely, 
And that story is really interesting too, how our father was having a really hard time in the United States because the United States and Guatemala are two very different places. And he kept feeling like there was something. He's a, our father is an immigrant from Guatemala. And he, thank you. And he felt like there was um, a spirituality component missing in his life. And he talked to our Tio Carlos, who has now passed away. And, you know, it was just expressing that he was having a hard time. And he felt like he wanted to go home. And Carlos was like, brother, come with me this weekend. He's like, and if, if after the, after you come with me, if you still want to go home, go home. And I'll, I'll, I'll take care of Kate and I'll watch out for the kids. You go home, but come with me this weekend. And so Carlos took him to his first meeting. Mm. And, and from then on, he was like, no, I got it. Mm. It's here too. Because I think that's what was missing. I think back to the, the knowing of the felt sense of true spiritually connected people, places, things, you know, it can be so many different things. But knowing that felt sense, I think he was able to recognize, oh, it exists here too. And I want to clarify, I think what you're talking about, let me see if this is what you're saying. Our dad had very much ran in, ran into different serious spiritual people, meaning like real brujos, real witch doctors, real, I don't you call it real. It's weird to say that, but you kind of do need to make this distinction when everyone and their mother is calling themselves a ayahuasca master or, you know what I mean? And nothing against those people, but being in um, Central America, traveling a lot it, through Guatemala, Nicaragua, Colombia, like Panama, Honduras, Honduras, like Mexico, all of the Mayan rooted modern countries that 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 Mesoamerican roots and and with many indigenous people. I think that's the distinction mm-hmm. that I realize I might have not an upper hand, but a different edge because I have through the Native American church community been able to interact and have deep relationships with many indigenous people of this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and through my father being able to hear stories of him interacting with many indigenous people of all of Central America. I was recently saw something or read something that said some outstanding percentage of modern Americans have never met an indigenous American person or never looked into them as a people. <laughs> like, but if you think about it, if I wasn't, if I wasn't involved in the native American church as a child and I just lived my life without that, I don't think I would know any native Americans. I will challenge you on that only to say you would know Derek. Mm-hmm. Why? And because, well, and also in the area we grew up in, there were native, the reservations were close by. That's right. And we, we played sports, play sports against, against the reservation. The reservation. Yeah, against Hoopa. So and we would be in, co- in pro- proximity to some native Californian native Americans. Yeah. But that, I mean, yes. And outstanding to think there are places where that doesn't exist, where there isn't a reservation close by and there isn't, you know... That is, that's, that made my jaw drop when you just said that. I just realized that through the Native American church and for whatever reason in that area, maybe it was the Redwoods, the rural part of it, or just people wanting ceremonies, that we also interacted with many different types of Native. So it wasn't just the Native Klamath people or the Weot or the Yurok. Yurok people that are Native to Humboldt County area. But we met Cheyenne, Arapaho, Sioux. Kiowa. Kiowa. 
I mean, uh, the list goes on and had many interactions and sat up in their services. Cause that was the other thing I was making a distinction with this uh, friend was how different services from the different tribes are ran slightly differently. Yeah. They have different fireplaces. That's what we call them as fireplaces. And that means a whole setup of the way the ritual goes down. Overall, there's a general way, you know, there's four rounds of music, four rounds of the medicine going around, four rounds of smokes, sacred tobacco. You have your morning breakfast, you have your cedar mid- and everything, midnight water, you have everyone. your tools, your sacred tools, like we were talking about in the other episode of cedar and sage and your fans, your gourd, your, your drum, the instruments of um, protection, staff. the staff. And there's a half moon uh, made out of certain material, depending clay or sand, white sand made around the fireplace. So there's a fire. So there's all these elements, right? You know, it's funny, Teach. So Papa said when he was running a lot of meetings for a lot of different fireplaces. Not running. Sorry. Um, when Papa was helping do fire for all the different fireplaces, he would get confused. And so he was like, I have to write this down. And they were like, no, no, you can't, you can't write, write it, it down. down. He was like, no, you guys, I, if you're going to keep asking me to do this for all, in all these different places with all these different fireplaces and different rules, like, you have to let me write it down. Like, I can't, I'm not going to get it right. And so they let him write it down. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think I can't remember who he was talking to. I think maybe it was Daddy Rutherford. Um, but yeah, cause it was really cute when I was talking to him about that. He was like, I couldn't keep it straight. Like, <laughs> I, was like I don't blame him. That's really endearing cause he wanted to get it right. And it was, it was a lot. And I, I really, it's interesting. I want to talk to our dad more, especially with him getting older, mm-hmm. because there's so many synchronicities and so much, so many beautiful prayers laid down and so many beautiful stories of how services went down and um, who was there and what they were praying for and what came out of it and um, the people that he met in his in his time. And he still sits up, you know, he still goes to meetings. He's really connected in that way. And I think it really, really helped him to get through a lot of stuff that God bless him. I don't think he'll ever get through everything, but I think it really did help his journey in, in this, in this lifetime and what he had to process from childhood to adulthood to where he is now. That subject matter is just really, it always intrigues me and kind of like puts a smile in my heart and kind of makes me feel like a little bit of like flutter in my system because I think about how much magic there is in all of that and how much like you said real but how intentional and the power of ceremony and the power of this indigenous knowledge and the power of all of these elements coming together and working with the natural world and working with the spiritual side and working in in connection and in tandem and in co-creation and acknowledging that there's this huge thing that's there to help. You know, that's the biggest thing that they say. This the door's always open to anybody and this is here to help you. Mm-hmm. It's here for you. You know, it's like that openness and that that help that's available is really powerful. And I think I'm I'm so grateful that I got to just marinate in that as a child. Like I can remember laying behind because you have to sit up all night traditionally on your knees you would sit up all night when you weren't supposed to go out of the teepee and 
there's been many accommodations for white people, Westerners, <laughs> for white people and for elders, I you know, agree. people that can't sit on their knees and but still, you know, have have a place there. But as a child, you can sleep, you know, they so our parents would bring sleeping bags in and they would put us behind them and we would sit up as long as we could or wanted to. And then when we were ready to go to sleep, we would just crawl in our sleeping bags and go to sleep. And I can remember so many nights being soothed by peyote music and being in the ultimate safe place that now whenever I do any somatic work or when I'm working on regulating my nervous system and I need a safe place to embody, I'll go back to that sleeping bag in the teepee, you know, because for what it's worth, I mean, I think there was resonance that soaked into me through all of that. And and I want to be like really transparent that I haven't sat up in a service in quite some time. You know, in my adult life, it hasn't it hasn't been as consistent or part of my community in every day as it was as, as children. But I feel like the the benefits will never stop coming from that. Oh yeah, I agree. And thank you for sharing all that. I think a few things that, as you shared, came up for me was same thing for me, the somatic practices of a safe place often go back to the teepee. I think of being in there as a safe, a really safe place. And I think the thing that I wanted to first touch on, because we talked about this, like how to not become a cult, you know, and how to not join one and why, why are so many people led astray? And I think that what you just shared is a good example of the experience of being um, communally led through a sacred service that has been unchanged for the most part for a very, very long time, passed down through oral tradition, right? And the accuracy of oral tradition somehow gets thrown like, oh, it can't be as good as written down. But I think the proof of how manipulatable manuscripts can be, I'll just throw out that book and change this word. That you know. So the reliability of that and the power, as you said, about experientially, like you can't get around sitting up on your knees all night, going through a ceremony physically with your body. It's like you go through something and every single person in that teepee does it with you. There's an equality there that I think is so valuable. It's the opposite of a trauma bond, you know? And like you said, the, the purpose, so, so much magic was what I wanted to bring it back to because Magic can also have a weird connotation as being, you know, the mystical for a lot, many, many, many eons was something that was taken very seriously. Still is, you know, India. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And in the Western culture, it seems to be there's this fight between the logic of Greek, the Greek logic and sciences and, and now technology versus uh, this battle of dismissing each other. It, yeah, one or the other. One or the other. Or either the, you're a scientist or you're spiritual. Yeah. And I think there are many people and the, the astrophysicists I know and the different like... The quantum physicists. The quantum physicists I know. Like they're very spiritual. They come around, you know, they all say like it... Comes full circle. Comes full circle. And I think that that experience inside the TV and inside prayer services for me has has allowed me to have a guiding sense within me of what what that sense of peace, I don't think you use that word, but I will for myself of like going through that and the benefits of it. And like you said, like that flutter in your heart, I too feel 
so much resonance with the positivity and the lightness that you really can release in there when you earnestly sit up on your knees on the ground and you pray for yourself and you learn how to there there's such a there's such a benefit to that and the other thing i wanted to distinguish was and this came from another person a long time ago asking me about the native native american church and the prayer services because they hadn't been and they were wanting to go and i said something about prayer and they were like well what what do you mean I was like, you know, you pray for yourself. And they asked again, I don't know what you mean. The only, and they said, the only prayer I know of is memorized, recited Bible phrases. And I was like, whoa, oh, no, no, that's not what I meant. You know, that's not what I mean when I say prayer. I mean, you learn how to talk to your, talk to creator directly. You learn how to open your heart and, and establish a connection to help ask for help, you know, to say thank you, to give gratitude, to center yourself, to align yourself align back yourself. to yourself and then give that focus and that attention to another, you know, whoever it's you're praying for your family or you're laying down prayers for the person that the meeting was for, collectively trying to stay focused. And that's something I know because when you're tired and your body hurts, it's really easy to get distracted. And then the, the learning I learned was like how to, I mean, it's really like meditation. <laughs> I think both of us have had the experience where we can sit and meditate for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I know this of you. Um, I'd love you to tell the story of like the monastery you went to. Oh, yeah. But I'll just wrap this up by saying the ability to, to, to open yourself and stay focused in a, in a, in a pure way, you know? And your thoughts get invasive and you get uncomfortable and you get irritable, but but you try to return back to that fire. You try to return back to the elements. You try to return back to the innocence of that intention of why you're there, the good part of it, you know, the vibrational goodness of what you want for that person, for yourself, for your family, whatever it is. And that that ability to bring yourself back over and over and over again, I think is a skill set. Harvey Baratrack is, is a person who we also know is a native and he talks about it like that, like a, like it's a, it's a practice, it's a classroom. And this is the way we teach. We don't know how any other way to teach. You got to come in and experience. And that open door policy thing, it's there for everybody. And I know that more recently, the community of natives are wanting to make the distinction between peyote being classified with like psilocybin with cannabis in legalization because they're a little bit uh, concerned that if it, the word gets out, um, <laughs> how do I put this? If the word gets out of how helpful it is and the experiences you can have while taking peyote, that there'll be a rush on the gardens. And so, and can you explain what the gardens are? So the, um, Peyote only grows in like only one place. Yeah. And it's, um, it's like the Southern part of the United States and down into Mexico. And, um, they're called the gardens. I've never been, our dad's been multiple times, but it's where peyote grows. And, um, and peyote is? Peyote is a cactus. That's a psychedelic cactus that the Native Americans have used for a very long time to commune with spirit. I think there is that open door policy and there is um, something that's very trustable about if you find yourself in that situation, 
you're supposed to be there, you know, like there's not another way around it. But I do want to make the distinction to to say this is native medicine mm-hmm. and natives need this medicine. And so if you are not native, which applies to Kiata and I, you know, respect it as medicine. And if you don't need medicine, if you don't need help or you have your own modalities to help yourself and they're working, that's okay. You know, you don't have to keep seeking more and deeper and different for yourself if you don't feel called to it or you don't really feel like that's something you need, you know? Uh-huh. I don't have this podcast and talk so highly of it and make it trendy to where people are like, oh, I want to try that. If you want the high, get some mescaline. Mescaline is the synthetic man-made version of peyote. That's what that is. And I think that that is such a, it is such an important thing because I can say this for psilocybin, for instance. I experienced psilocybin many times in my 20s growing up, growing, you know, as a young person, experimenting recreationally. And I will say I felt so connected to that medicine. Like I didn't call it medicine at the time. It was definitely like a drug. I was using it, but it helped me spiritually and mentally every single time I took a macro dose. Even if I was doing it just, you know, with friends to kind of party or whatever, but it really did help me. But it wasn't until I took a Mesa journey when I turned 30, somewhere around there. I can't really remember how old I was, but the experience of using that medicine, using that psilocybin in the format of an organized ceremony that had ritual, all kinds of steps to it, and then having the experience, the, sorry, having the history of being in ritual with the Native American church and that overlay was so profound and so different that it was, it was a journey that, that once in a lifetime, I will never forget that. It changed my life. For me, since I've had that benefit of growing up with a medicine, a plant medicine, ceremonially, and then using a different plant medicine, but recreationally, and then using it, using that, that second one, the psilocybin in the ceremony and, and, and really having the difference. I'm a huge advocate for leaning on the traditional ways to assist further what it's at, what it, what it really is meant for. This crossover with psilocybin coming into therapies, using it in therapeutic settings now with licensed people, I think is a positive crossover for sure mm-hmm. because Maria Sabia, Maria, Sabia, Maria um, the woman who really exposed the Western world to psilocybin, she's gone. And a lot of it's like you're saying, it's like a rush. And that was what happened in the seventies with her. She was, uh, I think she's from, God, where are they from? Where is she from? I'll have to look that up. But the, the mad rush of people who saw this article from this guy who had went and visited her and then just started like bum rushing her village. And she got completely ostracized from her village because, because it was just ruined by essentially white Westerners coming down and bombarding them, wanting to get this, the magic of the mushroom. And I think there's stories like that enough where we don't stop to think about the indigenous ways and what it's meant for. It's this, like you said, a mad dash. And it's it's interesting. It makes me think of there's they were doing psilocybin therapy in Costa Rica. And 
some of the locals, indigenous, were saying, telling the therapists, no, this is a medicine. You use it when you're sick. And they kept having people come come down from the United States and go through go through therapeutics with psilocybin. And the natives quickly recognized, oh, we didn't know that the Western sickness is disconnection from themselves. That that's what you're doing here. That's how you're how, how this medicine is helping them. We as indigenous people from that area, they didn't have that reference because that was not their ailment. So they utilized it in different ways. And I think that that is can be true for a lot of indigenous medicines to non-indigenous people. We have different problems. And and not to say that like if you have indigenous blood that you're not <laughs> disconnected from yourself as well. You know, I think that's kind of can be a universal thing that we go in and out of in our lives no matter what our heritage is. But I just thought that that brought that point up to me that it's it's just it's medicine. It is. And I've and so that's what it's called. That was also so many frameworks I realized as an adult, going back to what I experienced as a kid, that was my world, just the native people. That was my reference. Utilizing specifically peyote as a medicine. It wasn't ever referred not to as that. I I, I no. personally would I never even thought ever to use it recreationally outside of that setting, right? Set and setting is what they say a lot for, 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 um, psychedelic experiences, but this set and setting inside a ritual and, uh, organized ceremony was just, um, taken for granted for me. My understanding of plant medicine was from the time I can remember, you know? Yeah. I mean, pre- remembering for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the plant and then the people teaching you about it, right? The people running these services, having had their grandfathers that do the same thing to them, bring them into the teepee when they were really little and their grandfather and their grandfather had the same experience as a child, right? And that idea of that passing down, that connection being passed down, those old ways, those native ways being family passed down you know, in their native tongue, which is being lost, that being passed down, it's like a, it's like a direct connection to the past is mm-hmm. really what it is. Yeah. And, and I think you and I have both made the distinction of what those people feel like. Yes. You know, I've never met somebody who is in a position of power in the Native American church, which sounds even strange to say, but that, you know, yeah, like a, that would be weird. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't, exist really there's yeah you have the the roadman who runs the service but they are in service they aren't they they I've never met one roadman who said they were doing anything yeah that's a, okay that's <laughs> you it. know like and we talked about that before like I've never met a holy person that says I'm a holy person ever <laughs> that was the first time when we watched when Issa and I watched this this doc um and the guy the twin flame leader of this group is called twin flame if you haven't seen it i think it's on netflix yeah i think it's on netflix and uh they literally were on a zoom call saying i am the reincarnation of jesus christ i am your spiritual guru and or spiritual leader and and i was we both stopped after that episode and we were like that would be the number one sign 
immediately for me to be like, that's not it. Because what you just said, I have never, ever. And I've been reading more yogi um, philosophy and yogi books and even the gurus, even when people are, are connected and find their gurus, I haven't read any accounts of the guru saying, I'm your guru, ever. I've never read it. I mean, maybe it happens, but I've never read it, you know, and the people that I know that I consider to be, and it's not even like they're, it's like just, just tuned in enough to pace themselves with creator and to open their senses to this wider divine. The people that truly have practiced that and live in that way are not at any way I don't they're 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 hum- not they're t- humorous and they're they don't take themselves serious too seriously and they're like going about their days and doing their thing in trust there's not a look at me and there's to not, any of them I was gonna say there's not this I haven't experienced them taking credit like I did this there's a there's a we there's a gratitude there's a all all the native roadmen that I have sat down and talked to or wanted to learn from, they all talk about, look at that peyote. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's going to direct. Or these ways. These ways. Yeah. These ways. There's, there's, there's verbiage, important language, yeah. purposely shared to direct the attention to either into yourself or how you can help using the peyote, mm-hmm. how you can, how you can ask, how you can ask for help how you can conduct yourself in a way that won't get you all twisted up mm-hmm. so you can be clear to help, how you can use these tools to help yourself, how you can take it outside. So taking it from that inside of that ceremony out into your life. Yeah. Walk. Don't walk on your prayers. Walk behind them. <laughs> yeah. Those, those sayings and those wording, and those teachings, it isn't, it isn't in my experience, hasn't been dogmatic. Like that's been my experience. There's not a, if you don't do this, then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to, I don't know, nothing. There was never threat either. There was never like, um, like, uh, repent. Yeah. That kind of, I almost said violence, but shame. Yeah. This kind of like punishment system. There's no hell. Yeah. There, there wasn't any kind of reference to these circumstantial it's like, you need help, you come in. It's a practice. I don't know why, but I was just thinking, you know, it's interesting. You and I obviously grew up in this and we did have the privilege of going through many, many ceremonies and meeting so many, meeting so many wonderful people that were dedicated to their faith, you know, in creator and their the living those ways. But I don't personally have much intellectual knowledge about the Native American ways. You know what I mean? Intellectually, when I looked up, I Googled the Native American church and I read about it and I was like, what? Like, this is not what I know. This is not okay. Like I I can say I've only read maybe one book, which was really nice and actually really refreshing. It was um, Black Elk. I read his book and... Um, it was really, really nice to see written and, and hear the stories that I have lived and seen 
as a kid, but they're not, it's all oral, like you said. So uh, you don't hear about the stories about people getting healed and miraculous things happening and that happened in our own home, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid, we didn't, that stuff just happened. That was just part of our story and part of our lives. Yeah. But we didn't, you know, I've, I've never studied it, studied it. So I think like, you know, indigenous studies and Native American studies is, is really fascinating to me. I'd love to educate myself more about it because I sit here and I talk about it, but I'm, it's from an experiential place. It's from just my heart. It's not, you know, at all intellectualized. And I think that's, that's an important element too, to be able to bridge the gap for people. Because like if, if you and I hadn't grown up in the Native American church and we went to look for information about it right now. Oh yeah. I've done that same thing. I've Googled it and been like, what? This is very Christian. Like this is the layover of Christian church inside of a native. What? I was so confused. I was like, this isn't, this is, this does exist. I know in different parts of the country, but it wasn't what I experienced in terms of that. And just to be really honest, we didn't experience meetings that were all native people. Mm -mm. You know, we, I didn't go to maybe one or two meetings on a reservation in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I never, you know, I didn't go to Standing Rock. You know, I don't, I, I had the privilege of having uh, a sacred site on our property, on our land, and people, natives coming to us and running services on our land. So we were very privileged in, in the way that it came to us. It literally came to our home and we got a version and the people that were, you know, open-minded enough to travel to these places and sit up with white people. And it, you know, we got that version. I know that there are different types of services that are stricter. Mm -hmm. Very much so. You know, that we don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put in true context of like, this is our experience of Mm -hmm. this way of these ways and it was very impact it is very impactful to us it's very important to us it's very sacred to us and we we are very proud oh yeah of our heritage in that way even though you know we're native to the americas our father is mayan indian and guatemalan you know but we're not native to any of these northern we're tribes. not first nations we're not first nations people so yeah. which is interesting i don't know if you've ever explored that kiara because i have of being mixed race uh-huh. and you know our mom is irish and welsh and i've never felt because of you know me being more tan mm-hmm. people don't ever look at me and think i'm irish by any means no, and you get that joke of like everyone's Irish on on St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. <laughs> I say that and people are like, yeah, sure. I'm like, no, really, I am. But and I don't feel super connected to my heritage on that side. I haven't been to Ireland yet. I don't, you know, my grandparents were elder elders when I was came into this world, so I didn't have you know much connection to the, to their stories. And then my dad being from Guatemala, but he never taught us Spanish, so I kind of am like whitewashed is what I've been called. When you have the mixed heritage, you live in that between land of, you know, you're too white for your Guatemalan side and too Guatemalan for your white side. And then having that third element of being raised in a Native American church. So really feeling very connected to those ways and those people, but not being from them. 
is really an interesting place to sit is between all of that. Oh, yeah. Here I am finding your identity and that can be challenging. And I'm glad you said identity because that's exactly what I was flashing on when I have had the conversations with myself and especially strangely enough because of acting. (laughs) Acting is such a weird world and casting, getting cast for roles. Right. Um, Technically or like I'm ethnically ambiguous. Me too. That's the term that is (laughs) just thrown around and it's so fucked up. up. I mean, all of the casting has been historically so fucked up. Right. But but that but the the embrace of like oh ethnically ambiguous okay at least that's a terminology that does classify me like i've been mistaken for hawaiian i've been mistaken for you know asian like all kinds of different things and turkish yeah um, what's the other one um people often think i'm uh oh uh, what is it arabic yeah yeah arabic or persian or persian yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, when I started to, it was actually when I started to explore my sexual identity, where, where do I land? And that made me think about identity as well in terms of this that you're talking about, which is me very much identifying as native more than anything else, as indigenous same, more than anything else. And I was reflecting on like why that is, you know, and, and, um, and it's because of, sitting up in the native services because that's where my heart is. That's where my center is. That's, that's the biggest influence on my life because I, I care so much about my spiritual life because I'm a spiritual person just because I think it's what helps me the most. And, and I'm connected in that way. And that's, it's a loop because it's because I was in there when I was really young and it was so powerful and helpful and influential. And you saw these magical and very, very real practical healings, like half the power of it is, was un, is undeniable. And so it had great power and influence over me. That identification with those people, meaning natives, Native American, First Nations, and then their ways, that's my adopted family. You know, yeah, I mean, we literally had an entire Native American family live with us a good chunk of our childhood. The yeah. magpies lived with us. And for it, how many years? I was little, so I don't really track. Like four or five? Yeah. In our home. And it, him being our adopted brother, that the relationship, being Calvin young, Magpie. Calvin Magpie. Being, Senior. Being young enough and having that relationship and impressionable enough where they're like, this is your family, you know, we're adopted. This is, this is how this works. Not on paper, legal, you know, us, um, legal system adopted, but native adopted. And it meant something to me that was as real of a brother. He was 40, 45 or something older. I was a young child, but that was the relationship. And that's how we treated each other. It was it was my brother, my brother Calvin, and you mentioned earlier, Daddy Rutherford. That was my dad. Mm-hmm. That was a person who I looked at and identified as a father, you know. And those mm-hmm. were real bonds. Yeah, Jimmy Blackburn, he's my uncle. Uncle, like oh, ne- he always called me Nisi. I can still hear his voice. Not only did we get exposed to it, but they were our family. Mm-hmm. You know, those that that connection and yeah. sweet and loving because we had a pretty dysfunctional family. We did. And the dysfunction of even, you know, a family living with us, it causes even more dysfunction. Yeah. We're not sugarcoating that. But but my point was just that influence. And so, yeah, when I sit down with it, it's conflicting maybe outside because if I'm, you know, I wouldn't 
obviously would never go try to get first nation status. Cause that's, I don't have that. I don't have the blood, mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of respect and identity and um, embracing and wanting to help and belonging and belonging. That's, that's a big where, thing. That's what's, that's you know, the belonging part. And we were raised by our father who taught, <laughs> didn't always have the most positive things to say about Americans and the United States. Um, rightfully so, you know, he grew up in the era of the United Fruit Company in Guatemala, which if you, I definitely encourage you to look into the history of that if you're listening to this, because it's atrocious and needs to be known. But it's tough for me too to reconcile being, like you've expressed, a proud American, being American and and being proud to be American, and also having this deep connection to the Native Americans and knowing what past American governments did Mm -hmm. to these people and what continuing to do and continue to do. It's a conflicting place to be. And I think holding contradictions is one of the superpowers of people that function well and have acceptance and can, can cultivate peace in themselves because these are big issues. And I, you know, I think about, I was talking to my friend Tina the other day, who is Congolese and she, her mom left the Congo, her mom and dad left the Congo and, um, and they, they started their life in America and her rest of her family is all spread out over Europe because they were displaced. And we're having a really good conversation about, um, you know, just the, the feelings of her parents do a lot of, uh, refugee work and they volunteer and they travel a lot and they're very giving people and and very my sense I have not met them but my sense of them is that they are boots on the ground let me help because somebody helped me and having that conversation with Tina and then recognizing the the solace and the connection that we both felt for one another and the outrage at what was done to the Native American people in this country and what is still being done to them and how it's never been reconcil- reconciled and that their first na- our First Nations history is not taught in the majority of schools anywhere in the United States and just all this stuff. It, it made me recognize how much more connected to the Indigenous side of yeah. me, I feel. And it's not, and then, you know, because it's not colonialism, <laughs> It's not? It's not. I mean, no, no, no. Because the indigenous ways oh, are not colonialism. It's pre, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's pre-colonial. Decolonialized. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because that's like, when I learned about, I took a class on um, Latin American colonialization and that was heavy. So heavy. Yeah. And I, you know, re- reading books about Hawaiian people, you know, what happened there. It's like, it's, it's heavy. It's a really heavy history. And and what's so... It's heavy to be on both sides of it. I have both sides of that. The interesting thing is we have the Irish in us, which is like also pretty badly done to. <laughs> as far as the, the screwed over of the white people, Irish had it pretty bad. Um, <laughs> what was, mom would always say like they're the only, they were the only developing nation that was white. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for real. For a long time. And to be fair, like, so going going to ancient wisdom, right? There's a part of me that 
I don't know why, I don't know how, but I fully, I fully can connect to ancestors, like that idea of ancestors and the idea of ancestral lineage, like feels so readily available to me, you know, to when I've done meditations about my ancestral lineage, like it feels so vibrant and available and like I can reach out and touch that Mayan indigenous part of me, that Gaelic, you know, Celtic part of me. Um, and I don't know if that's common for everyone, you know, and, and it's sad for like black people in this country that they can't track their lineage to the Kings and Queens that they were, you know, and, and that's, that, that's, but, but they can, cause there is some, for me, what I'm just saying is a belief I have about ancient wisdom is like, there is a way and it does exist in you. And, and scientifically your DNA has that, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I, when I have experienced those meditations though, I do recognize that our, me and you, our indigenous part of us is, um, on that level, right? It's not this particular lands indigenous, but we have that bloodline of that Mesoamerican, of that Mayan bloodline, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that um, that doesn't, I'm not saying that because that makes it better. I'm saying it like better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's all construct. That means nothing. But I just mean it's in our our heritage mm-hmm. to understand these things, to want to understand these things, you know? And I think you want to take a break? Yeah. Sip on our... Drank. Drank. Pow up. Drank. To be continued. Kiata here. Please join us next week for the continuation and completion of this sister fireside chat. We trust this gave you a window into our background and upbringing and allowed you to join us in this journey of discovering what's anchoring and helpful when trying to change for the better. Okay. I, I think we did it. Listen, I don't know what we did. But we did it. (laughs) Look, unattainable ideals are overrated. We're way more connected and deserving than society's false sense of separation dictates us to be. You're not just one person. You're enough. Your effort is enough and change is possible. Question the standard that says otherwise, because what if almost is good enough? Just by tuning in, you're a part of our clan. Not in a culty way, though. (laughs) We don't know how far this ripple can go, but we're going to keep showing up. And we'll never get to perfection, but we're all going to be okay if we let the process be the solution and we see the value in the attempt. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Ripple Affect. We're looking forward to exploring a different facet of change with you next Tuesday. Same time, same place, next week. For show notes and additional resources, check out our website at rippleeffectpod.com. That's affect with an A. Kiata has worked diligently to make our website interactive. Please visit it so it wasn't all for nothing. (laughs) In all seriousness, though, there's a ton of resources there. DM us directly at rippleeffectpod on Instagram and let us know what you liked about our show or any of your own ideas. We're really excited to hear from you. We value your feedback because it helps us make the pod better and it's our way of including you in our process. Okay, so ratings aren't the point of why we do this. We really want to make a change in the world. But in the matrix, there are 
algorithms. So yeah, every single review we get helps the ripple go farther. To help us out, please take two seconds, find the ratings and review section on whatever platform you're listening from, click five stars, wink, wink, and leave a review. We know you're busy, so just saying hello or literally hi as the review helps us hack the matrix. We sincerely appreciate it. If you want to become officially initiated into our clan, again, not in a culty way, hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we're in it with you. Keep questioning. Stay curious. You got this, clan. A special thank you, love, and credit to the magnificent Mia Casasanta for this beautiful music you're listening to right now.